Good morning, church. Woo! Good morning, church. All right, a lot of love in the house. Please grab your seats. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning, Hebrews chapter 2. If anyone needs a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Hebrews chapter 2. Keep your hand up. They'll get you a Bible. We've got one right here. Any extra Bibles? Can we get one over here to this young man? Thank you. Well, good morning. What a beautiful day. I didn't think any of you would show. It's so nice out, but obviously you love Jesus, and that's why you're here, and that's awesome. Um, we've got a few announcements. If you're here today and you're, uh, it's your first time, uh, we welcome you here. Thanks for joining with us. If you're on your vacation, it's so great to see that you're not on vacation from the Lord. Such a great time to be able to fellowship with other people from around the world. And so we welcome you today and we let you know that we have uh, lunch for you after the service. So uh, hang out, get to know some of the folks and welcome. Um, a few announcements we've got coming up. Um, our Hallelujah Outreach that we do on Halloween night. It's going to be on a Tuesday. It's coming up in about two weeks. And uh, we're asking for donations for candy because what we're doing is we're taking the candy putting them in little Ziploc bags with tracks in them. So we're getting, we're getting Jesus Christ out on the darkest night of the year. And so we're going to be tenting the whole parking lot. We're going to have game booths with prizes. Uh, we're going to have food, uh, burgers and dogs, chili and rice and some other stuff. And it's all absolutely free. So tell your friends it's free. I mean, in these, these days, there's not a lot of stuff free. So we're going to be giving away the gospel and food and candy with tracks and giving away Bibles and we could sure use your help if you'd like to get involved. We're going to be meeting here around 3 o'clock on Tuesday to start setting up. we got a lot of tents to put up. And we could still use a, any more tents. If you have something that we can borrow, like a, a 20 by 30 or a 20 by 40 or even a 20 by 20, we'd be, we would be stoked to borrow that from you. And we probably need at least one to two more barbecues because we like to have about five barbecues going because everybody from everywhere in Kilauea comes right through here. And it's a great opportunity for share to love Jesus. So I um, encourage you also to wear your Jesus Freak shirts because that always strikes up a conversation. And it's a great way to get the gospel out, and they brought it up. Um, we do need some more help um, in uh, our ministries. Uh, things are going good here. The church is growing, but we need more ushers and greeters. And we'd like to get about 20 more signups for ushers and greeters. The more signups you get, the less you actually have to serve. So God wants all of us to serve. We're called to serve. That's part of who we are, of our appreciation for Jesus. But the, the, the neat thing is, is the more people that sign up, the less you actually have to serve. But God knows your heart that you're willing to serve. So if we can get like about another 20 people signed up for ushers and for greeters, then you're probably only working like one Sunday a month, every four months probably, every four months. So that lightens the load, and, and, and it's nice when the whole church is involved in what Christ is doing here, because that's what he's called us to do. We're, we're to serve him, right? You've been bought with a, your, a price. Your life's not your own. It's his. Is Jesus just your Savior, or is he your Lord? It's a pretty good guilt trip, huh? Everybody signing up? <laughs> I, you know, there's just no way to say it without it make it sound like a guilt trip. But it's like, guys, I just want you to grow. I just want you to grow. Um, I'm doing this. I want to do this. I love the Lord. And I want to see God bless your life. And so uh, we encourage you in that. So we have um, prayer here Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. till 7. Come on in and get, some, get prayed up before you go to work. We've got all kinds of Bible studies going on during the week. Uh, we just love to get you plugged in. But today we are in Hebrews chapter 2, and the book of Hebrews is just an amazing book. And the writer is encouraging the Hebrew Christians not to walk away from salvation by faith. One of the dangers that the Christian Jews were doing was the pressure in Jerusalem was causing them to go back to 
offering sacrifice, but going back to dietary laws, going back to uh, you got to be saved by faith and circumcision and keeping the law. And we know that's not true. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins on the cross. We are now dead to the law because why? He fulfilled the law and now we're under a higher law. It's called grace. Grace. By grace that you're saved, not of your works, lest anyone should boast. God doesn't want you to think that you have anything to do with your salvation, but that he did it all. And that was the danger that the Hebrews were falling into, the Hebrew Christians. This is, uh, we went through chapter 1 where we saw the superiority of angels, uh, that Jesus is more superior than angels, that angels were a little greater than men, and we were made a little lower than men, but the whole purpose of Hebrews is to point out Jesus Christ's superiority to angels, to man, to, to all those prophets, to guys like Abraham, Moses, guys like Joshua. He's, he's superior to them. He's superior to the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood. He's superior to all creation. And then throughout this letter, these 13 chapters, he inputs some exhortation. Some strong warnings, and we've come to the first warning today in chapter 2. There's another warning in chapters 3 and 4, one in, uh, I believe, in 5 and 6, and one in chapter 10. And those warnings are to really wake us up. So we're only going to look at the first four verses today. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Let's read it. Therefore, we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord, was confirmed, confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, with diverse miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Father, thank you uh, for this powerful piece of Scripture, Lord. We ask that you would uh, ready our hearts, Lord God, to receive uh, instruction, exhortation from you. Not from me, but from you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, allow us to... Stop making excuses and just obey. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, speak to everyone here in a special, unique way, in a special way that they need just personally for themselves to help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I entitled the message, Don't Drift Away. We see a strong warning there in the very first verse which speaks about slipping away or drifting away. I've been sort of agonizing over this message all week because I know it's not going to be an easy message. I know I'm going to offend somebody. I know some of you probably won't come back next week. But I have to speak truth. I have to tell the truth. And the truth will set you free. We live in a time of Laodicea where the church is lukewarm at large. And a lot of Christians are playing church. They, they, they come here out of duty when they forget it's a love relationship. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about all churches at large. We're in a lukewarm time of the end of the church age and it's coming down to it and God is coming at any moment. You look what's happening in the Middle East. It's going down. And we need to look up because our redemption draws nigh. We need to be focused. We need to up our game. There needs to be an urgency in our life to live right, to obey the Word of God. Not to just say amen, but to do it. But to not only make Jesus Christ our Savior, but make Him your Lord. 
which means whatever he says in this book, you do it. Don't say praise the Lord and live in sin. And that's what's happening to the world today. But if you talk about it, it's offensive. People get upset. They don't want to come back. And they want to go find a church that's sugar and spice and everything nice. Well, they're out there, but you're not going to grow. You only grow when someone gets in your face with the Word of God and says, what you're doing is wrong. And God loves you so much, He's not going to let it go on. And you're, not, you're missing out on the blessings because you're living in sin. But you love Jesus. I understand it. The, the, the Jews here were Christians. They had gone backwards. They had drifted away. We can drift from God. We can, we can be so on fire for God at one point in our life and then become a mere shell of what we used to be. And it's because we've let the world infiltrate more of the world and not as much of Jesus as we used to have. And so we see a strong warning for the Jews who had gone back to circumcision and dietary laws and sacrificing, which was just a slap in the face to Jesus. It was spitting on Jesus. It was saying, what you did at the cross wasn't enough. That now I'm going to do my part. But how many of us get like that? You get saved. You're so excited. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're just, Jesus loves me. I, I have eternal life. You're telling everybody about it. You're just, you're just so full of love and grace. And, and then you get a few verses under your belt. Next thing you know, you've got discernment. And you start looking at people differently. And then, and, then, and then it can creep in. We can get legalistic. You know, it's like, well, you know, how come I'm serving and you're not? How come I signed up for ushers and greeters and you didn't? How many chapters are you reading today? I'm doing 10 every day. Notice you're not at the prayer meeting. I'm there. And those are all great things, but when you start thinking that makes you better than somebody else, you're messed up. You become legalistic. You become like the Pharisees. Why? Because you should be serving God because you love Him. You should be signing up because... He's worth it. You should be getting involved because He desires that for you. Time is running out. Don't you want to go out doing more than you ever did in your life for Jesus? He's coming. Look what's going on in the world. We're down to the wire. We should be so in love and full of gratitude and appreciation that we're willing to do anything He wants us to do even serve a life sentence in children's ministry. <laughs> but there's another kind of drifting for the, the believer. And it's when we're not legalistic, but we're living in sin. You say, well, Steve, I, I, you said we're not saved by works. We're not. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But don't tell me a Christian can't backslide. Don't tell me a, a Christian can get so far from that relationship that he once had with God and just drift away. The Bible says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. What is that? Who makes the first move? You. God promises if we draw close to him, he'll draw close to us. He says, I want to have a relationship with you without ceasing. He says, if we pray without ceasing, that means he wants to have a relationship with us without ceasing. How much of Jesus do you want? You can have all you want. He's right there all the time for you. When I hear people say, it just feels like he's so far away, he didn't move. You did. And when I see Christians that are living in willful sin, it breaks my heart. When I see what's happening in the church at large, it breaks my heart. When I see them ordaining homosexual and lesbian pastors, that's an abomination to the Lord. I told you I'm going to upset some people because I'm not progressive and I'm not woke and and I think there's only two pronouns for a man and a woman. It's he and she. 
How did we get so stupid? <laughs> they got what, like a hundred genders now? And these are supposed to be the intelligentes or whatever? You tell me to follow the science? Science says man, woman. Determined at birth. God hates homosexuality. He hates lesbianism. But I'll tell you what, he also hates fornication and adultery. Just because you're a heterosexual, not a homosexual, doesn't, say, doesn't mean he's okay with your sin. If you're hopping into bed with somebody, you're not married, you are in willful sin. It's an abomination unto the Lord. And the Bible warns us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, and in the book of Revelation, that if you live a lifestyle like that, you ain't going to heaven. And I'm pleading with you today, if that's what you're involved in, and I don't know, I don't praise, and I don't want to know. But if I do know, I'm going to tell you this, you're fooling yourself. You're rolling the dice. Because I'll tell you what, there's going to be a lot of people in the last days that are going to stand before Jesus Christ and, and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to go, what? I went to Calvary Chapel, North Shore. I don't know you. I, I, I tithe. Don't know you. I served. I, I came and cleaned up. I don't know you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because too many people in this world today just want enough Jesus to escape hell. Too many people today are only into Jesus for fire insurance. Too many people today, they want to have a Jesus that lets them do whatever they want. My Jesus, he lets me sleep with my girlfriend. My Jesus says I can cheat on my wife. My Jesus says I can go out and get hammered. My Jesus says I can take drugs. My Jesus says I can be gay. I don't know what Jesus you serve, but it ain't my Jesus. And I am far from having it all together, guys. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am a work in progress. You can check in with my wife. <laughs> I know God wants the best for me, and I know God wants the best for you. But, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, our problem is one word, yield. We're not yielding. We've got to yield. We've got to quit playing games with who Jesus is and our relationship with him. If you're living in willful sin, if you're a backslidden Christian, a lot of times what I hear is, man, we're just really going through it. You know, it's like, it seems like everything is going wrong. Hello, did you want him to bless your sin? God cannot bless sin. I'm just begging you, try it his way and watch him pour out a blessing that you won't have room to receive. He's saying, I love you, I died for you, I paid the price for your sin, I want the best for you, and God is saying to you and me, I know what's best for you. You ever get in those arguments with God? Like, you feel like God, God's telling you to get out of something or do that, don't do that, and you start, like, justifying why you're doing it? And you're really having a conversation? It's as dumb as Balaam with the ass. Do you, you guys remember that story? When God uses a donkey, King James ass, to speak to Balaam. And the funny thing is, he starts arguing with them and doesn't even like, react it like a donkey's talking to him. That's us. God's going, what are you doing? What? What? I'm not doing anything. Where are you going? Uh, not there. Do you find yourself doing that kind of stuff with them? Jesus coming into your heart and saying, listen, go, go share the gospel with that person. You're like, mm, not a good time. Every man and woman that yielded themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible, God used in a mighty way. I don't care who you are. You, you might think you're nothing. Perfect. You won't get in the way. God can use you. God likes to take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You know, when I see these guys with PhDs and they're trying to tell me that there's more than, than a man and a woman, 
And, and, it's like, and, and it's like, and you got a Ph.D.? Why are we so smart? I'll tell you why we're so smart. Why do we see what other people don't see? I'll tell you why we see what other people don't see. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the creator of the universe living inside of us. You ain't all that. It's him sharing it with you, and he opens your eyes to the truth. And the truth will set you free. Get out of the sin that you're in. Make things right. God wants the best for you. He wants to bless you, but you've been drifting. Jesus is our anchor. But what happens if that line breaks because of our sin? Then we drift. And we drift away. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. I have a friend, um, Ken Graves, Pastor Ken from back east. He said to me, if people aren't leaving your church on a regular basis, you're not teaching the truth. (laughs) And then I had another pastor that I know that said something like this. He told his church, and I thought this was heavy. He said, listen, if you're not willing to serve in this church, Would you please go to a different church so that seat can be used by somebody that wants to serve? That's a dangerous thing to say when you have a small church. And I remember saying amen to that. And like I said, I'm not being legalistic. I want the best for you. And God wants the best for you. But I think we're at the end times here and it's time for us to get shaken up a little bit. To realize that God loves you so much. Listen, here's the thing. If you knew that I was a drug addict and a drunk and running around partying at the bars and sleeping with women that I'm not married to, would you come listen to me preach on Sunday? I'll give you another shot at that. Would you come listen to me preach on Sunday? It's not okay, is it? Then why is it okay for you? Because I ain't any better than you. I wept over this message. And I know it's going to upset some. And it's not like I know anything about you. But I always get these reports like, why were you staring at me when you were saying that? It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't. Now I, I know what you did, and I wish I didn't. <laughs> but if you're upset with anything that I say, just send an email to PastorDavidQuan at gmail.com. <laughs> he needs something to do. There's, there's, um, there's no time to drift away right now. Time is of essence, and, and we need to stay close to Jesus Christ. That first verse is, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we slip away or drift away. What's that mean? That means you've, you guys have been in the Bible for years, and God is changing your life, and you need to take heed to the things that you've heard. And to come here week after week, month after month, year after year, and say amen to the things they're taught, but then to go home and do the opposite is just, it's, there's something terribly wrong with that. I try to encourage people to come to church, you know, on Sundays and, and Wednesdays and to get involved in ministries and help do outreaches. And I do it because I care. I, I don't try. It's not a guilt trip. It's like, I want the best for you. I want God to be working in you and through you. And I know you want that. It's just hard to yield. And, and the enemy gets us too busy. 
My friend, Pastor Waxer, he, he says everybody's getting too busy. T-O-O-B-U-S-Y. Too overly occupied being under Satan's yoke. If Satan can't stop you from what you're doing in your relationship with God, Satan will get you so busy that you don't have time for God. You don't have time to read. You don't have time to pray. You don't have to, time to get in your Bible. You don't have time for ministry. You don't have time for Wednesday. You don't have time for Sunday. And when you say to people, why don't you get involved or why don't you show up on a Wednesday? And, and they say, I, I, you know what, I'll have to find the time. How are you going to find the time? There's only 24 hours in a day. You can't find more time. You have to make time. Because I'm smart enough to know that whatever you want to do, you will do it. I'll tell you what, if the buoy's 10 feet and the tide's right and the wind's right and the waves are pumping, I will make sure I surf. Water ministry. I seize the opportunity. Someone gets smoked by a wave. They come up gagging and spitting water. I'm like, how about Jesus now? <laughs> There's 168 hours in the week. If you only spend two hours with Jesus, that leaves 166 hours you're being exposed to the world. I love surfing. I've, I've surfed all my life. I've made boards all my life. I like watching the WSL, the World Surf League. And I look at those guys. Those guys train hard. When I used to compete in surfing, it was all drug addicts and drunks. And all the surfers competing would show up in the morning to the contest, hung over and shot. And you, if you want a contest, you got a trophy. Now you get millions of dollars. And now they train every day. They're on full training regiments and, and diets. And it's all about nutrition. And they're not partying because they're surfing two, three times a day. And the stuff they're doing on those waves is crazy. But if I'm thinking to myself, I want to be on the WSL, but I'm only getting in the water once a week for two hours, it's going to affect my performance when I get in the actual tournament. If you want to perform your best for Jesus, you got to put in more than two hours. You got to open your Bible every day. You got to pray every day. You got to say to yourself, listen, you know what? Sunday's not good enough for me. I'm going to come Wednesday nights. Guys, it's not legalism. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm trying to help you. This is going to help you. Because I want to ask you, on a Wednesday night, you know, and I, I've talked to a lot of pastors, and I know that, you know, only 10% of the church shows up, no matter how big the church is, no matter how small or big, only about 10% show up on a Wednesday night, and something's seriously wrong, and that's church at large today. Because I guarantee it, on a Wednesday night, people got to ask themselves, well, I can't go to church, Why? Because I'm watching TV, or I'm watching the game, or I'm tired, or I got in a fight with my spouse. You know, I'll tell you what, if you're planning on coming to church on a Wednesday, check this out. And the enemy knows if you get in an argument with your spouse that you won't go, guess what's going to happen every Wednesday night? <laughs> or if your kids act up every Wednesday and you don't go, guess what the enemy is going to do? He's going to make your kids act up every Wednesday. Just bring them. Just bring them. You know else how we drift away? Choosing sports on Sunday over church. Because you're teaching your son or daughter that sports are more important than Jesus. And these coaches really shouldn't be scheduling games on Sunday. They, should, they got Saturday. And and parents need to stand up and say, listen, my kid goes to church on Sunday. You can, you can have that game after th in the afternoon. We'll come to that. But if you're telling me to sacrifice Jesus for sports, not doing it. 
Listen, guys, I told you this wasn't going to be comfortable. I know somebody's going to get upset with me. I know somebody's going to get mad. I'm not looking at you. I didn't know anything special about you. I'm just telling you what God has laid on my heart. And sometimes we need to hear the honest truth to jumpstart our hearts to live for Jesus. Listen, when Jesus spoke to the multitudes, he, he spoke to them and he said some heavy stuff to them. And you know what happened? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands walked away never to return to him. He was left with 12. Actually, he was left with 11 because one was a loser and he only had 11 left. And he looked at those guys and said, you going to go too? This is the creator of the universe, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that wrote the Bible. He's not interested in numbers. He's interested in quality. He lost all of his followers, was down to 11, and looked at them and said, oh, I can't believe everybody walked away. What am I going to do? No, he said, you going too? Success is not numbers. Success is a transformed, transformed life. And you know what Peter said? It was one of his beautiful moments because he's not very good at pulling things off, but this time he did. He said, well, whom are we going to go to? You're the ones with the words of life, eternal life. Where are we going to go? The Father wants you close to him. Right? I mean, has anybody here ever lost their kids? Raise your hands. Just, wow, you guys are messed up. I'm <laughs> just kidding. We lost our kids too. You know, you used to go into Walmart and they had those, those clothing racks that were round and the kids would love to just like go into the center of it. And you're like, whoa, whoa, where'd they go? What? And you know that split second when your heart just goes like this? Because you, you don't know where your kid is? How do you think the father feels when he watches you drift away? It breaks his heart. And how many Christians were on fire for Jesus at one time, but they've grown cold now. Listen, if I don't take my relationship seriously, I can become a religious Pharisee, a legalism, legalist. Do you know God wants a relationship with you? You remember the book of Revelation chapter 2 when he wrote, Jesus wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus. He said, you guys are doing great things. Wow, you're doing great things. You're doing amazing things. You're warring against false doctrine. You're pointing out the false prophets. Man, you are on fire. You guys are doing amazing things. The only problem is those amazing things are now more important than me. And he said, repent and return to your first love. I'll tell you how quickly being a pastor could become a job. I get up at the wee hours in the morning. I study do all my studies, I do church stuff, I do everything I need to do, and it's like it can become routine. And I don't want a routine. I don't want it to become a job. I want it to be a relationship. I can't tell you how many times I ask God to forgive me and bring me back to my first love, and He is faithful to do it. Sometimes it's right then, and sometimes it takes a day, but it gets done. And I need to, I need to say that all the time, because I can make this a... a, a I can make it a job. It's like you, you can get in this way like, okay, well, I'm going to pray first thing in the morning. Okay, I need to read so many chapters. I need to do this. I need to do that. And, and there's nothing heartfelt there at all. I, I used to be in a contest with other pastors from the mainland to see how many, how many times we could read through the Bible in one year. And we were pulling off like three, four times, and, and, and it was amazing. But, you know, and then all of a sudden I felt the Lord say to me, well, that's really great that you're getting through it so fast, but you're not retaining anything. Because I was just trying to mow through, mow through, mow through. And it's good because you're ingesting it. It's going to do something. But the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, stop this game you're doing with these other guys. Slow down and chew on each verse. And that's what I've been doing. Because I want a relationship. God wants to use you. 
But when it comes to serving God, so many Christians are like, well, yeah, but that's, that cuts into my time. When it comes to giving to God, oh, but that's my money. When it comes to loving others, oh, well, they don't love me. When it comes to forgiving, oh, well, they're not full of forgiveness. We've got all the excuses. God tells us to serve. God tells us to give. God tells us to forgive. God tells us to love. But are we doing it? Or are we making excuses? Are you drifting and slipping away from your first love? For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect such great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? And now he comes to a portion of Scripture where he's challenging because people are turning the relationship into legalism and they're going back to their old ways. And he's saying, listen, don't go back. How can we neglect what Jesus has done for us? How, why would you want to return to the law? Why would you want to go back to works? You know how many, you, you, you know, everything outside of Christianity is works. Every religion out there is a religion of works. They're all trying to earn their way to heaven, and they can't. They're all trying to appease someone that's angry that they can't appease. We are the only ones that have a loving God who loves and is not mad at you. And loves you so much he can't take his eyes off of you. And wants to bless you and give you things. But when we're not in the will of God, he can't bless sin. And so he's saying to these, these believers here in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, and he's saying to you and me today, why would you want to go back to adding works to your salvation? Why would you want to walk away from the simplicity and how beautiful and glorifying, glor, gl, whatever, <laughs> wonderful graces? Grace is a gift word. You got it for free. You didn't have to jump through the hoops. You didn't have to pay a price. You didn't have to do so many, you know, prayers or this or that. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't pay for it. It's free. Why would you want to go back and now make it faith and works? But the church does that. By putting trips on each other. Why aren't you doing what I'm doing? Maybe someday you'll be where I'm at. No, you know what? I'll tell you what. If, if you're here and you're in Christ Jesus, God loves you as much as he loves me. How, how, this, how, this is even crazier. The Father loves you with the same love that he has for the Son, Jesus Christ. All right, I thought you would have got excited about that. So what, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Jewish Christians, he's saying if the words of angels prove true, how much more should we listen to Jesus? If, if Moses was receiving ministry from angels when the children of Israel left Egypt and, and the angels were bringing a sure word to Moses, how much more should we be listening to Jesus Christ who wrote the book? And when he came in his ministry on this earth, God clothed in flesh and dwelt among us. We should listen to everything that he has to say. Because Moses came bringing the law and people die under the law. The law kills. You know why? Because none of us can keep it. Not one of you. If you could get to heaven by works, you'd have to keep the law, but no one's ever done that. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, and when he paid for our sins on the cross, he fulfilled the law. We're now dead to the law. The law does not apply to us anymore. We're under a higher law, the, the law of grace and the Spirit. Praise God for that. Wow. 
Whew. And how many children in Israel perished in the wilderness? How many didn't go into the promised land? A whole generation. Why? Because of their unbelief. God said, there's the promised land. Get there. Take it. It's yours. And they came back cowering, saying, oh, well, I, it, there's giants in the land, and we can't possibly survive. And, and the Lord's like, but I'm with you. How many giants are in your life right now, but you're like freaking out, and God's saying, hey, stop, I'm with you. And a whole generation perished. Did any of them go to be with the Lord? No doubt. What happened is they didn't get the promises. They didn't get to go into the promised land. Why? Because of unbelief. And many Christians today aren't receiving the promises of God because of unbelief or they're, they're walking in deliberate sin. And God can't bless sin. And it's time to let that thing go. How many Christians are missing out on the blessings because of willful disobedience? And the funny thing is, well, it's not funny, but God disciplines us. Did you know that? Anybody got disciplined? You know, you probably got disciplined and didn't even know it. You just thought it was a bad day. Or, you know, like, you know, you accidentally broke a bone or something. Like, you know, I'm not saying God's out there break your bones. But I, I can be honest with you, one time God had to take me out and put me in bed for three days to get, to get my attention as a pastor. So I know he's very capable of doing whatever he needs for you to wake you up. To knock you down. To those who God loves, he rebukes and chastens. And he does not, not because he enjoys it, but because he loves you. He will spank you to get you back on track. Just like you spank your children. Amen? Amen. Did you know we're supposed to discipline our children? Three people know that. That's the problem. We've got to stop listening to CPS. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for that one, aren't I? <laughs> we, we, we took a child into our home, a young man, and uh, we had to do a background check, and everybody's FBI check went through, but mine was taking a long time. I was like going, oh, gosh, this is not good. And then finally we got okayed, and we brought him into the family, and the CPS, they go, now, you, you can't spank him. And I said, sorry, pastor, if my kids are getting spanked, He's getting spanked. He's not getting special treatment. And they said, no, you can't do that because even if they see a red mark on their cheek, they can take your children away from you. I go, I ain't treating him any different than anybody else. I'm not a psycho. I don't believe in abusing them. I don't believe in hitting my kids in the face, but I will tear up that little rear end when they're out, you know, out of control. And, and you know what they did? They called us like two months later and said, you want to take any more kids? See, see, the whole CPS thing, what it's done, it, it's, it's created a whole generation that doesn't have any consequences, that don't have any respect for anybody. And you want your kids to grow up and to be respected. You want them to be polite and personable. We're trying to mold children into godly men and women that people are blessed to be around. <laughs> you don't have to teach your kids to sin you got to teach them not to sin. They're little sinners. we got a, we got a bunch of ladies in here that are pregnant. They're about ready to have a baby. They're going to have a little sinner. I know they look like a little angel, but that's a little sinner in that little basket that you got right now. They already know how to manipulate you. They don't care, Mom, if you haven't had any sleep. They're going to cry till you get in there. Then you're going to calm them down. They're going to be all stoked. You think you got them asleep. You're going to go back to bed and tippy-toe, and they're going to open their eyes and realize you're not there. They don't care that you don't get any sleep. They're going to start crying again. You're going to come right back in, and they're already working you. <laughs> you don't have to teach them to sin. It's not like you're like out in the parking lot at Foodland, 
And you look at your five-year-old, go, your five-year-old and you go, hey, here's the deal, okay? We're going to go in there. I probably know everybody in the store. Okay, we're going to go down an aisle. You're going to grab a toy, tell me to buy it for you. I'm going to say no. You're going to throw a fit. You're going to throw it at me, scream at the top of your lungs, fall on the ground, kicking and screaming. If you don't have kids, you're not getting that. We've got to discipline our kids. Proverbs 13, 24 says this. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. You know, Proverbs 13, that first one I read, says if you don't discipline your kids, you hate them. You are not their best friend. You're their parent first. Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. The word in the Hebrew is sheol. Sometimes you've got to beat the sheol out of your kid. <laughs> and I'm not talking about going nuts. I'm not talking abuse, but God has provided a perfectly little padded area on the body where you'll get your point across, they surely won't die. I remember one time being in Foodland. Everything happens at Foodland. <laughs> That's all we got. Well, all we had then. Um, but uh, two of my boys, Josh and Austin, our worship leader, Austin. Yeah, here we go. So they're little. We're inside Foodland. And you, you know how Josh and Austin are like, what were they, like two years apart? Year, yeah, about two years apart. I'd check with my wife. But if you know you got two boys that are two years apart, they're hugging or slugging. Right? They're, they're all about love, and then they're all about slugging. And, you know, but don't get in between them because they'll turn on you. Right? And so we're in the store one day. And I'm going out there. And they're grabbing everything. They're little. They're grabbing everything off the shelf. Like, buy this. I'm like, put it back. Stop doing this. You know, you know how you're doing, you know, when, when you got your kids and you're like, quit it. Stop it. Put it back. Don't. No, I'm not. Quit. Knock it off. Stop. And then one hurts the other one. And I'm like, that's it. You know, and I go over and I grab him by the hand and I go spank right on the butt. And bah! and they know what they're doing because if I would have spanked them that hard at home, it wouldn't even brought a cry. But they know if we get in the zone where there's lots of people, there's more impact. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because when your kids act up and instead of losing it like you would at home, you go, you just get in the car. And when you get in the car, you're going to get it when you get home, right? So you're trying to like keep it cool, but there comes a time where you're just like, that's it. And he lets out a scream. Everybody on the aisle is looking at me now. And this lady next to me goes, you should never hit your kids. <laughs> really? I'm like looking at her like, really? That's, not, that's just not right. I, I go, how many kids you got? Well, I don't have any kids. Oh, that explains it. I go, get back to me when you got some. It's a whole different thing. We don't get any enjoyment out of disciplining our kids. You know, that's why when your parents used to say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, and you're like, how's that going to work, right? <laughs> but now you understand, I don't really want to do it. And years later, when my kids grew up, they finally told me that, you know, when I spanked them, it didn't really even hurt. They would just scream loud, so I wouldn't do it very long. <laughs> it's like. But to those that God loves, he rebukes and chastens because of his grace. And you should thank God that you're under grace and you're not under the law because the law kills. Under the law, you got what was coming to you, but Jesus came bringing grace and truth. He taught us by the grace of God and the forgiveness for our sins that through our faith and trust in him, we would be saved. And he says, take heed to that, lest you drift. We don't want to be abusing the grace of God. 
Remember what God has brought you out of. Remember all that he's done for you. The question is, do you appreciate it? Are you showing your appreciation? And if you are, how are you showing your appreciation? Are you serving him? Are you giving? Are you loving people? Are you forgiving? You know, I don't have to serve. I could be like a lot of people and just not serve and still go to heaven. But I get to. I kind of look at it as like a real privilege to think that God would even want to use me. To think that God would want to use you. I don't have to serve. I get to. I don't have to give. I get to give. I don't have to forgive. I get to forgive. Why? Because he forgave me so much. I don't have to love. I get to love. Because why? He first loved me. Is there evidence of a transformed life in you? Because we're not judges, but we're fruit inspectors, right? We're here to look and see if there's fruit. And when I see fruit in people's life, when I see a real transformed life, I know God's working in you. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals or sodomites, nor thieves or covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Check this out. And such were some of you. How many did that describe you? Describe me. You're in church right now. Hello. <laughs> Put your hand up. <laughs> Pride. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He washed you clean. You are justified. In uh, 1 Peter, let me read something to you. This is a little scary. This used to bother me for a long time. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will, the end of those who, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And I used to think that's pretty heavy. When, when, when the, the, the righteous one is scarcely saved, like does that mean we can lose our salvation? No, that's not what that means. What the word means in the Greek, scarcely, means it's a word for difficulty, work, and labor. So what it's saying there is if the righteous one is saved through difficulty, work, and labor, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to the faithful creator. It's not easy being a Christian. And we're going to come under more attack as time goes on. Because our, our nation is really anti-God, guys. I don't know if you know that. We've got Congress, which is full of a lot of people supporting Hamas. We got Congress that are holding prayer meet. They're, they're opening in prayer for Congress and they're praying to Hindu gods. They're praying to Muslim gods. They're, they're praying to everything but our God. And so in God we trust, I don't know if you saw the new, the new coins, in God we trust, they turned the, the face of the president now away from in God we trust. The president has his back to in God we trust. I know it might not seem like anything, but... I pick up on that kind of stuff. 
Next thing you know, and God we trust will be off the coin. Because we're not trusting in God. We're not standing up for God. We don't want God in our schools. We don't want him in our courtrooms. We don't want him in our businesses. And, and you know what's so funny is that when tragedy hits, everybody's going to go, where was God? Well, what do you mean, where was God? You didn't want him. You pushed him out. And now we've pushed him out of Congress. We're, we're, it doesn't look good for us, guys. Our country is going down. We need to step up our game. We need to pray fervently without ceasing for the president on down because the only thing that's going to change this nation is a transformed life. But are we willing to pray for those that are really driving us nuts? We have to be. We need to get serious about our faith. How many of you, when you work at the business that you work at, when the boss comes and tells you what you need to do, the boss expects you to do it? Right? Some of you are business owners, right? You tell your employees, hey, get this job done. Before tonight, I need this done. And you expect them to get it done. What happens if they don't do it? They get in trouble. What happens if they continue not to do what they're told? They're fired, right? Your boss will say to you, hey, I got to get these four things done before we close up. I know that you're going to be working late, but I need this done. Handle it. And you do it because you want to keep your job. And you get there on time. Why? Because you want to keep your job. And you give your boss 100%. Why? Because you want to keep your job. You know what's funny is when, when Jesus says, hey, die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, we're like, mm, maybe tomorrow. When the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords tells us, turn away from sin, and we say no. Tells us to die to ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. And we say, eh, next week. There's something wrong there. We should take our faith seriously. We need to step up our game for Jesus. I do too. Why? Because he's worth it. Listen, none of us are going to get to heaven and say, you know what, Lord? It's so great to be here. I think I did too much for you when I was down there. <laughs> Woo, this is nice up here, Lord. You must have done that with all the money I sent. I think I gave too much. Not one of us is going to stand before a true and living God, and say, I served too much, I gave too much, I forgave too much, I love too much. But I guarantee I'm going to stand before the Lord and say, I could have done more. I could have gave more. I could have served you more. I could have loved more. I could have forgiven more. And I don't know if that describes you, but that describes me. Let's embrace the grace of God and show our appreciation for the grace of God by our devotion to Him. And like I said before, and I know you probably don't believe me, but I'm not putting a guilt trip on you. God does not want you to serve or to give out of guilt or obligation. If you're giving and you've you got a grudge about giving. I, I was listening to someone tell me today that the reason that one of their family members doesn't come to church is because the church is always begging for money. We never beg for money. And, and I said, hey, if you don't believe in this church, give somewhere because I don't want you to miss out on the blessing. We, we believe in asking when there's a need because I think it's okay to present a need and let the God, God work in your heart. But we never beg for money. But God does never want you to give out of guilt or obligation. You know what he'll say to you? You know what he say to you? If you don't feel right about giving to the church, God will say, hey, you know what? I don't want it. Keep it. 
I don't want that tainted money in my church because you gave with a grudging heart. I want someone that's a hilarious, happy giver, that sees the big picture, that knows that this widow's might can be turned into a lot and used by God. I want somebody who, who gives because they appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ. They appreciate everything that he's done because they could never pay him back for what he's done. For When the heart is right, God loves it. He can do a lot with a little. He can do a lot with a lot. But he doesn't want you to give. He doesn't want you to serve out of, out of guilt and out of obligation. He wants you to give and serve out of love. Guys, remember when you were dating your wife? Money was no object. Right? Nobody cared where we went. Where do do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? You want to do this? I don't care. Do you want to do that? It was like you were dating. You just had to be together. You didn't care what you did. You didn't care where you ate. You didn't care where you went. You didn't care how you looked. You didn't care what. You just had to be together. And then you got married, and all of a sudden, everybody cares. Well, let's go do that. We don't got the money. Oh, you want to go over here? No, I don't want to go there. All of a sudden, everybody's concerned about where you eat. And it happens the same in the Christian walk. In the beginning, you just, Jesus, oh, so great. I just love him. I just got to be with him. And after a while, we start to grow cold. We get complacent. We don't have that same fire. You need to stoke the fire. You need to get excited about your Lord again. He's coming really soon. This would be a great time to get excited. Amen. (laughs) And so he says there in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which first began to be spoken by the Lord? So the first first thing when Jesus came and did his ministry on this earth, he came and brought us the truth. And it was confirmed by those who heard him, the apostles, God, the Father, also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So first we have the witness of Jesus, and Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting light. Life And then the apostles came in and confirmed what Jesus said. 1 John 5, 9 says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he had testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and the life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Amen. So the words were first spoken by Jesus Christ, salvation by faith, confirmed by the apostles to us, and then the Father confirming with the witness with signs and wonders and different miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, the gifts are according to God's will, not yours. We don't have free reign. We're called to pray for people. But what God does, it's up to him. It's not up to us. It's according to his will. So the word will be taught. We see through the book of Acts when the word of God was taught that God would follow up with miracles to confirm what he taught. And the greatest miracle that you will ever witness is somebody getting born again. There is no greater miracle. Seriously. What good is it to be cured of cancer and still go to hell? What good would it be to have your, your amputee added back onto your body and still go to hell? What, what good it would be to raise you from the dead and you still go to hell? That's not the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is the person sitting right next to you because they got born again. So he says, take heed, don't drift away. Do his will, not your own. For you've been bought with a price, you are not your own. Obey him, 
serve Him, give to Him, be used by Him, love Him, and always say this when you're praying to the Lord Jesus and the Father, not my will, but Thy will be done. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your words, Lord God. Help us to obey. Help us to live for You. Help us to serve, to get involved, to give of ourselves and of the things you've blessed us with. Lord, really help us to forgive one another. Help us to let go of bitterness. Help us to be more like you. Empower us right now with the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to overflow with your love unto each other. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please stand.